Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. And January comes around, and then March, April, I get the confirmation, like, yes, we want you to be our English-speaking announcer, and I'm like... Are you kidding me? Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I am well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, it's just been a great full week of ignoring the Youth Olympic Games. <laughs> and it's been hard to ignore because there has been a lot of things on Instagram, right. but I just keep scrolling. Right. Just... Oh, man. Scrolling. I do hear from listener Brian, who has gotten sucked in to them. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I'm sorry, Brian. I know, but he's gotten sucked into the breakdancing competition. And oh, I've heard, oh. I have to look and see if there's any more breakdancing and if they're going to show it on the Olympic channel because he says the commentary is choice. <laughs> they don't know what to say, really. And they're trying to use these hip terms, yet sound very plain. Like when your grandmother says, that's dope, boy. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> I might just watch that to laugh. I know. That's how I might I might break down and do that. But he said uh, also that his kid really hasn't watched much. And one of the reasons kids might not be watching the Youth Olympic Games is that they're too busy competing in their own sports. <laughs> I had not thought about that. But that is true. I know. Why don't they have this... Not when school, because pretty much school is in session everywhere right now. Right. I know Australia has a big break in October, but it's not, you yeah. know, that's later. And, and I'm guessing Buenos Aires probably has something yeah, similar. It must. I don't know. But speaking of funky announcing, we have our favorite wrestling announcer, Jason Bryant, back on the show to discuss his time working at Rio 2016, where he was the English in-house announcer. And as you recall, Jason runs Matt Talk Online, a news and podcasting platform for a number of wrestling shows, including Short Time Wrestling Podcast. And here's our conversation about his experiences in Rio. Take a listen. Let's talk about Rio. How did you, well, how did you get into announcing, first off? I started announcing when I was 14 years old. So I just turned 39 yesterday, as we record this, August 21st. Yesterday was my... 39th birthday, and it will be my 39th birthday the next year, and the next year, and the next year. Welcome as, to the as my 39s. <laughs> 39s, yeah, I'm looking forward to that decade. So I started announcing baseball in high school. I always known I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, okay. and I grew up grew up in south southeastern Virginia. I grew up in Newport News, Virginia. They moved to 10 miles away to this town called Pocosin, which is right on the Chesapeake Bay, a little fishing village, uh, kind of almost backwoods-ish in a major metropolitan area because Hampton, Newport News, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, there's almost two million people there. It is it's a pretty big metro mm -hmm. area. I mean, two major newspapers, all three stations, four stations, no pro sports teams, but we got a, several Division One universities there, including my alma mater, Old Dominion. But I got into sports broadcasting. I knew I wanted to be a sports broadcaster from like the time I was 10. 
And I, I we moved to Pocosin, and it actually afforded me the opportunity because if I'd have stayed at the big school in Newport News, they had no facilities. Like the all the city schools played football at this one central stadium, and they had a guy, a guy named Bill Nettles, who'd been doing PA for decades there. He's still a legend. Uh, still announcing games. I think he's in his 70s now. He's just phenomenal. But I, moving to Pocosin, I had a chance to – well, we got the baseball field. The baseball coach recognized that as, as a freshman and I started doing it. Then my sophomore year, I started announcing a couple other sports doing, I couldn't play a whole lot early years because my sister was younger than uh, six years younger. I had to, had some family issues we were, we were dealing with. I had to stay at home a little bit more. So I found that girls basketball was played in the, in the fall in our, in the smaller schools in Virginia. So I, I did stats and did the PA for them. And then uh, almost all those girls played volleyball. So in, into the into the winter, I, was, I started announcing and doing stats for volleyball. And here, baseball comes around again. By that time, the soccer coach was interested. So I'm starting announcing all those sports. And then by the time I was a senior, I'd, I'd come out for the wrestling team. Uh, I was doing eight sport, anything you could pretty much announce. Like yeah, I, I can't announce cross country. There's just <laughs> there's no stands. There's no booth. But I was doing field hockey. I was doing JV football. I was doing uh, boys and girls varsity basketball, volleyball, wrestling baseball softball when they were in the playoffs mm -hmm. because they baseball and softball games were played at the same time boys and girls soccer so i was doing all that stuff announcing tournaments so i, I got into it when i was 14 i've uh, been doing it 25 years and wrestling really took hold when i went to college and i started a radio state we were on a radio station the guy who trained me a guy named greg martin started a, a radio show for wrestling called mad talk which is now you know 20 some years later mad talk online is my is my website and it actually started there in Hampton, Virginia. Oh, wow. 149 WXRE in 1996. So I get into that. Then I start the website, which was just about high school wrestling in Virginia. I was announcing tournaments on the weekends. And wrestling just – it 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 didn't interrupt my broadcasting career. It just kind of kidnapped it. So <laughs> – I, I thought Sneaky. by the time I, I mean, I was I was one of those those kids that everybody's like, yeah, he's going to be on ESPN one day. You know, I thought I was going to mm -hmm. be that guy. I thought by the time I was 25, I'd be on ESPN. And I, you know, right now, Adam Amin is the guy for broadcasting. And I thought I was going to be what Adam Amin is right now. The most one of the most rec recognized, respected, interchangeable, dynamitely awesome broadcasters you can find. That was my goal. And wrestling kind of kidnapped me a little bit. I, I got I got the bug. It bit me. I was terrible at it, but I, I loved the dynamic of the sport, the people in it. I ended up living with a bunch of the wrestlers at Old Dominion. I announced all their home duels. I was paying for college, announcing high school tournaments on the weekends, you know, and it just worked out with the website. I was working at a newspaper mm -hmm. at the time as well. I started snagging phones when I was a senior in high school. And by the time I had graduated from, from ODU seven years later, yeah, seven year undergrad here. And <laughs> I was, I was full time laying out paper, lay, laying out the newspaper pages and, you know, writing, covering high school football, covering wrestling. And, the, the the bug for sports was way early, way early. So uh, usually if there was a microphone around, sometimes I tried to have every bit of experience that I could going into college because I knew it was an extremely competitive market. Mm -hmm. And part of the reasons I chose Old Dominion versus like, say, a Syracuse or a James Madison, which have much better broadcasting departments and actually true communications departments was hands on. Everybody in the, in the area had pretty much come through WODU uh, at, at the, the three major networks and I knew them all. And I knew the broadcasters up up to Richmond. So I didn't feel like if I left, I'd have to start all over with that. So that's one reason I kind of stayed 25 minutes from home is to try to develop those, those redevelop those connections. I had them. People knew. I mean, I would go to a Tides game, a AAA baseball game, and Scott Cash from, from Channel you know Channel 13 would be like, hey, Jay, what's up? You know, they'd know who I was mm -hmm. when I was 18. So all the, all the writers knew who I was. So that was just one thing. And then wrestling gets in the way. And, you know, I had an internship with a hockey team my first freshman year in college. It was just uh, this wrestling just took me away. And the PA announcing thing just kind of came with it. Um, got a chance to do a lot of high school events. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy, Ken Berger, who was the, the English speaking announcer. Uh, go figure in, in London. He was the, 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 the other English guy in London. He was the American speaking tech, uh, technical, technical stuff. Cause he was a referee. He's from Virginia beach. He was a guy that was an early mentor of mine. So, you know, he had, he had announced the Olympics in London and did, did the high school state tournaments and things of that nature. And I just got into it and it's been, it's been really snowballing, especially the last three years. But yeah, I've been behind a microphone since I was 14. How do you prepare for a game or a tournament? I mean, what, over time you, you learn who everybody is. But what, what do you do to prepare? There are two different types of preparation, and I have to separate these because there's the American Collegiate High School tournaments that 90% of the stuff I'm going to be able to access quickly. Mm -hmm. 
uh, or because I, I'm so, so ingrained in wrestling as, as a media professional that a lot of the stuff is still in my head. If I don't know if it's not in my head, I know someplace I can get it quickly. So preparation is the biggest thing when doing these things. So if I'm going to the tournament blind, I'm, I'm going to know who these teams are. I need to know the rank kids. I need to know pronunciations. Now, internationally, thankfully, one thing United World Wrestling slash Deal has always kind of done is they have this thing called the uh, the database. And if you go to unitedworldwrestling.org, you will see a drop down that says database. It is a list of placements from every major continental world and Olympic level event going back as far back as the guy from Germany who programs it can find. And he's still constantly adding stuff. So if I want to look up Jordan Burroughs' international results, not necessarily his, his wins and losses, but his placements, you can go there and you can find it. So the first thing I like to get when I prepare for a world championship is the entry list. So from that list, I can then go through. And now that I've got a couple years of this, I'm just going cross-checking and updating certain things from the existing list. But when I built this list the first time in 2015 for Vegas, I go through, I've got all the entry lists. Then I've got the country code. Then I have what that country code is, you know, written out because some people will look at MHL and be like, what the heck is that? And like Marshall Islands, mm -hmm. you know, but sometimes you have to think about it. Like is, is CAM, is that Cameroon or is that Cambodia? Right. Uh, you know, things of that nature. So you got to make sure you're not making mistakes there. So I've got this Google document and I've got that. Then I've got their first name, then their last name, then a line, a column of phonetic spelling mm -hmm. of how to explain it. And then then I have a column of their age and their birth date, because a couple times you show up. If there is one wrestler that has a birthday during the course of that tournament, I want to say that. right. If they're wrestling on their birthday, I want to say it. And it happened in Rio and it happened at the Worlds in Paris last year. So it wasn't the same guy either. But it, that type of thing. And then I have a column that breaks down their continental and their world level placements. So if you're a or in some cases, the Youth Olympics, since that's started recently, mm -hmm. we've got athletes that are competing in the old Youth Olympics that are now floating through the senior level. So it'll be like JW dash G parentheses 13. Junior world champion in 2013, okay. or then I'll have like, you know, WCB, you know, world championship bronze. And then I'll also have it, you know, conditional format to where it'll highlight and it'll be colored. So if, if somebody's a silver, it'll be gray. If somebody's gold, it'll be yellow. If somebody's a bronze, it'll be okay. orange. So I can quickly scroll through and know when I have those sheets up in front of me when I'm announcing events. So a lot of it, it takes probably two, three weeks to actually go through and, just enter all that stuff from scratch the first time. Now that I've got those those names there and I've got the dates based on, it's not like a hard birthday. That date basically floats on whatever the birthday of today's date is. Okay. It's it's a lot easier to update from year to year, but a, but a big Google Doc and then I can share with other broadcasters. Uh, Ken Berger, for example, he was in Rio with me uh, doing the in-venue broadcast mm -hmm. with uh, a, Portuguese, a guy from Brazil doing the Portuguese. So I shared him and, and other announcers. And e, I shared it with ESPN. Uh, Sean Kenny has been a voice of, of international wrestling the last couple of years. So, you know, here's the pronunciations. Here's their age. Here's their stats. And, you know, here it is. So I'm, I'm, I'm not just helping me prepare either. But that's really the, the hardest part. And then going around, if you get there a day or two early, is walking around and you're seeing somebody with some of these Iranian naming conventions is are, are interesting because it'd be like, you know, Hassan Yazdani Chirati. Well, he just goes by Yazdani, but everybody worldwide just calls him Yazdani Chirati. Or, you know, it's the first familial name in, in the Latin American mm -hmm. countries, like Mian Lopez Nunez. Nobody calls him Lopez Nunez. Like Mian Lopez okay. from Cuba. So understanding, and that, that comes with experience, too. That's not something you prepare for. Knowing that the Koreans, whether they be from the DPR Korea or from Korea, also mm -hmm. never, ever say NK anywhere oh, really? near. It's all always DP. <laughs> No, no, you do not say North Korea. Okay. You just don't. It is the Democratic People's Republic of Korea for those north of that particular okay. parallel. And those south, it's Korea. Okay. And so you, you never, ever, ever say North Korea. Ever. Like if you see it, uh, they saw it on a piece of paper one year uh, at the World Championships and wanted to take it. And we're like, no, we, and we went and changed everything that we could find. It was on my own personal notes. So it's like DPR, DPR Korea is the way you basically say it. But when you're introducing them, you got to say that. And Iran, first reference, Islamic Republic of Iran. From there on out, you can say Iran. But medal ceremonies, it's, you know, for Russia, Russian Federation. Okay. So uh, just knowing the naming conventions of how, and, and like I said, the Koreans, are their, their naming conventions are backwards. Their last name is first. Right. Same with, uh, same with China. So knowing that, it takes experience to get that. So when you prepare for that, you know, capping the last name, 
is something that's that's consistent in international news reports too. So with like how the OBS the, and the the stat services they'll cap the last name. So you know, in, in cases where the Koreans you've got you know Wang you know Jong Il or mm-hmm. something like that. That you know it, it you know for us it's you know Jong Wang Il or something like that. So I think I mixed exactly <laughs> the, the the example names up. But yeah, the, the preparation with that is the hard part. And after a while, you start seeing the athletes. But then the day before, you walk through and you find somebody that knows English, mm-hmm. or you have Google Translate, and you say, "Hey, I need some help pronouncing a name." And usually, they'll they've picked up enough English to know they can direct you to somebody else. You know, we'll be like, like, Yazdan, uh, you know, Rezai, mm-hmm. Rezai, and, and they'll they'll nod their head, and you like you rewrite it. So it's a lot of that. Okay. That's that's kind of the fun too, because they'll also after now to the point now people are coming up, and you commentator. I'm like, yeah, he's like. Uh, Yazdani, or you know, or in, in Rio, one of the Chinese officials, um, the woman was wrestling from China. Is like, um, it's yeah, you know, you look at it, it's like looks like Yanan Sun, mm-hmm. and well, it's again aiming conventions are back. It was like Sun Yanan, okay, and like she, I was like Sun Yanan, no Sun Yanan, and she's and that type of stuff is invaluable mm-hmm. because you want to say it or or Sarah Yoshida, you know Yoshida, oh right, you know, not no Yoshida, Sarah Yoshida, so. You know, just how you hit the, the I mean, certain sounds we can't make as as Americans because we didn't grow up. I mean, how many alpha, how many, what's the Chinese and Japanese oh, yeah. alphabet? Crazy, yes. crazy. We can't do some of those mouth sounds mm-hmm. because we just don't know how to do them. So if they really do like the fact when you get as close as you can and try to pay at least some modicum of a respect to their culture and their nation, I think that's one thing I also try to do. And that that's part of that preparation. Very interesting. So how do you get – do you get tapped for things like world championships? Do you have to apply for that kind of gig? What what's How does that work? You know, the Rio thing was – it's actually it's, – it's, it's an interesting story because it has a lot of non-wrestling parts to okay. it. Because it was one of those things where when I let's, – let's go back to 2013. So I'm on my own. I had mentioned that. I had left USA Wrestling. So I wasn't getting – an Olympic credential anymore. You know, I'm going to have to pay my own way to go to the world championships. Like what, what's going on here? So, uh, fortunately in 13 through the whole United world wrestling, they, you know, United world wrestling picked up my tab to do the broadcast. So I was doing the mat side commentary for the world championships for the finals. And that's one thing that I'm definitely in my environment doing that. Cause I've been broadcasting and, you know, PA is there, but broadcasting is where I thought I was, was, was good, but also, when NBC's got the deal and NBC uses their people, mm-hmm. it's probably I'm going to be a gray hair before I ever get probably get a chance at NBC. So my daughter, Lucy, was born in June of 2012 and she had several medical complications, which caused us to say, all right, you know what? If I'm going to be working in wrestling and I travel a lot, my wife's from Minnesota. We moved back. We were in Colorado Springs and, you know, we're home of the USOC mm-hmm. and, and USA Wrestling. And we moved back to Minnesota. And basically starting to do this thing on my own and 2014 worlds rolled around and, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get to Tashkent because that's a, that's a question everybody has in life is how are they going to get to Tashkent? Who's back at that, which is the championships are. And ultimately I got it figured out that USA wrestling was going to help me with the lodging. And I basically bite the other half of it. And, and when I got there, eventually United world wrestling did pick me up to do some interviews with all the champions, which was kind of interesting to use through translators. But so with my my daughter, my, my oldest at the time, our only at the time, uh, part of her with her medical issues is she had a feeding tube until she was two years oh, old. Wow, well, okay. when I'm over in Uzbekistan, my wife and I had taken her in before before the trip to take the feeding tube out. She had been eating normally and OK, we're ready to, you know, ready to go. And they just said it would heal on its own. Well, it didn't. And it was basically it was a, a, a bad situation in terms of, you know, just basically the, the the stomach stuff was coming out of this this hole this wow. beautiful little two-year-old girl so my wife has made i then i get on the plane to go to tashkent you know like okay we'll handle it the doctor said it'll figure it out so when i'm in tashkent my wife takes lucy back to the hospital to basically put the tube back in more or less as a placeholder because they can't and now the question is do i get what do i do do i come home i mean i'm halfway across the world so we looked at it and dealt you know we had that she was in the hospital so uh, I'm looking at it going, okay, what do I, you know, what do I do? And it, it, everything, even with Delta waiving the, 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 whatever with the doctor's note, it was still going to be like eight, $900 oh, wow. just in the, just to get back mm-hmm. because 
And by the time I got back, it'd be probably a day or two by the time I, before I'd get back anyway. Right. So big reason we moved back to Minnesota is because we've got family here. We've got friends here. My wife grew up here, went to college here. Her, her parents were at the time an hour away. So there was an infrastructure to help in this type of situation. So the very next day in Tashkent, I meet a guy named Gilles, who is the site manager for wrestling in Rio. Oh, wow. He is in Tashkent. And I meet him with uh, this guy, Lucas O'Callaghan, who is now working for Wrestling Canada. He was working for United World Wrestling at the time. And we had talked, and Pedro Gamafilo was a new member for the United World Wrestling Bureau because Brazil was going to host the Olympics. And they had, uh, you know, Pedro was active in the Save Olympic Wrestling Movement, saw what I was doing with the broadcast, and says, hey, you know, you know, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I need to do something. So I was thinking webcasting or something like that. And then I meet Jill and I was like, yeah, here's what I want to do. You know, anything you got, because I know I applied for a credential because you have to apply for Olympic credentials almost 18 months out. Right. And, and I'm like, OK, what am I going to do? I just still went and applied on my own. Actually got a credential. But then I'm like, OK, what do I do? What do, what do I do? OK, well, we'll we'll keep you in the mix. We'll keep you in the mix. And just some emails back and forth, some Facebook messages. And then 2015 rolls around. The United States hosts the World Championships. And having worked at USA Wrestling, the USA Wrestling's event director, Pete Isaias, is like, "Hey, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get our, our announcers in there." Me and Ken Berger, you know, one of my mentors, and I are are the main announcers at the World Championships. And I'm guessing that when Pedro was there and heard me do the PA, maybe that's what what kind of said, "Okay, yeah, we want you to do this." Well, I didn't know still that what they wanted me to do once they said we're gonna do so, we're gonna do something with you. So. I get this information packet. They're going to run a test event in Rio, a women's wrestling test event in one of the arenas that aren't yet completed. They're still trying to finish karaoke one, two, and three. And they put us in karaoke one, which was, I think, the bigger one to test. So, But I get the paperwork. I'm, I get my visa, get a work visa to go down there and in January of 15. Uh, Jan, let's see, January 16. And I still, you know, we're eight months out. I still don't know what I'm doing, but I, I know I've, I've got a credential. I still don't know what I'm doing. And I get down there. They give me this packet before I get down there, probably two days. And I'm like, wait, English announcer. Uh, I didn't want to steal Ken's job. <laughs> you know, had, had that job in, in, in Rio in London. And I'm like, um, English announcer. And I didn't see anything about webcasting or anything. I'm like, I think they want me to do the PA. <laughs> so this is like three days before I leave. And I'm like, Hey, can you get me an entry list? Cause then I get in, in, in the mode. So that's how I go through the, the, the test event and, you know, through that process, I had to send in audio clips and, and wave files and things of that nature to say, I'm not sure who else was applying for it, but they said, here is, they sent me some paperwork. Here's what you need to, to fill out. So it's that chance encounter in Tashkent that led me to meet Jill, who was the Rio guy with Pedro, the executive director of the Brazilian Wrestling Federation. And that basically put the gears in motion for me to be the voice in Rio which, you know, being the voice in Vegas definitely probably helped that that case. And January comes around and then March, April, I get the confirmation like, yes, we want you to be our English speaking announcer. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Wow. Wow. Because I had kind of known that they were going to go with me because that March I announced my first NCAA Division One championships mm -hmm. in Madison Square Garden of all. Places. Oh, my gosh. So, I had been, you know, I, I had the Division Threes the week before. I had the Division Ones, like Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. I my, I mean, I'm I'm 35, turning 36, and I've got the D1 Championships, which sells out for three straight days, no matter where it's at, and the Olympics. I have arguably two of the biggest wrestling events in the world, and I nail them the same year. Like wow. I get the same year. I'm like, uh, <laughs> and I couldn't even talk about getting Rio until I had the contract. I think it was in April. Oh wow! So. Okay. So yeah, test event, and then we go down there, and that's that's how I got set up. I mean, if if I uh, if I tuck tail, you know, if I if I be a good dad, really, <laughs> and just say, okay, I'll come home. I don't know if I ever ever had this opportunity. So it's it's really was a, a chance meeting in Tashkent, Uzbekistan, that put me in in connection with the right people, and then they they keep they hear me, they know who I am the next year, and that's pretty much it. And then after that, you know, the international federations like, yep. Yeah, got you for Paris and Paris. Oh my goodness. They crushed it last year. And then I'm doing that again for, for Budapest in, in a couple months. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. So that's, that's, wow. that's just getting the gig. That was just getting the well, gig. Well, you know, and it just, it, it like, shouldn't that be a good tourism slogan for Tashkent? Look what a chance meeting in Tashkent can do for you. 
Well, that, that's probably the best thing that happened in Tashkent. <laughs> because, uh, let's just say my friend, my friend Leroy Gardner is a, is a wrestling coach down in Arkansas. And his wife is from Tashkent. And I had uh, me and a bunch of the Americans didn't have the greatest experience there in terms of um, gastrointestinal okay. issues, so to speak. And, you know, his Leroy's like, man, we got to get you back to Tashkent. Susie's got to f- show you some better places, man. You can't have such a bad, bad, bad experience <laughs> about that place. I'm like. I don't know if I'm ever going to get back to Tashkent because uh, Delta is not really a code share partner into into Tashkent. So that, that there's also a reason why I did turn down announcing a tournament in Turkmenistan. Oh, really? This year. Oh, you, like, don't, um, you don't want to check not all, you know, like some yeah, people have 50 states. You don't have all the stands on your list to check off. Delta doesn't have <laughs> Delta doesn't have code share into Ashgabat. So, no, actually, what's also funny, you mentioned that I've been to three former Soviet republics. I've never been to Montana. Wow. I've never been to Boston. <laughs> Oh, you got to get out here. My wife, my wife was just there last week on business. I'm like, I've never been. I've been to Baku. Wow. I've been to Moscow. I've been to Herning, Denmark. I've never been to Boston. Far out. Well, we got to get some wrestling here. Plenty of wrestling up there. That's that's another story entirely. Excellent. So you, you go to Rio. What what's your accommodation like? Did you have to provide your own or did they they provide? Uh, no, they 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 were they were fantastic. And, you know, any type of international event, a games, an Olympic style event. And I actually know this now because I've gone through that process and I went through the Commonwealth Games process back in back in April, which is also interesting that I announced the Commonwealth Games being American. Wow. That's another side note. So we're 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 there. And the test event. I was down in the the Baja district, the Bar, B-A-R-A is how they, they say it down there. I was like a mile away okay. from the competition. It's like, oh, this would be great. Well, we get there, and here's the fun part. Oh, man, there's just so many. I, I just think about this because this is two years almost to the date we're recording this of all the things that went on in, in Rio. You know, So I was flying to Rio on August 8th. Competition didn't start till like the 14th or 15th. So you know, it's like a week, week and a half to acclimate You know, your, your practice and stuff. So – uh, we get down there. There, there. The lodging is in Copacabana Beach. Okay. So I'm about half a mile from NBC's studio. So right down the block, I could run in and see Seacrest. And I've got another story about that too. I had a really good time in Rio. I really did have a good time in Rio be- before the wrestling even started. So we get in the Copacabana, and Ken Berger's there with me, and we go through announcer, tr- you know, announcer training with uh, Peter Graves, who's been he's like the voice of alpine skiing, okay. and he does a lot of marathons. The guy is is just a, a knowledge his knowledge base of of how to do an Olympic level sport is phenomenal, which is good for me being a first timer knowing that, okay, I can get kind of opinionated. I can get kind of mouthy mm-hmm. if things aren't how I think they should be because I've been doing this for 25 right. years, but I've never done an Olympics. So sit down, shut up, pay attention. So, uh, we get there in Copacabana beach and we, we, we do the trip. We're like, how do we get to the venue? The, the way they told us to go is, okay, take this, uh, take this, take this, take this, take this, take this. took us an hour and 30 minutes each day. It's only 15 miles, or it might even be 15 kilometers. I don't even know. We, it was train, train, bus, mile walk. Oh, my gosh. And uniforms they gave us, they gave us three shirts, two pair of pants, three pairs of socks. And granted, it was not the summer there because when I went down in January – it was brutal. Mm. It was 100 degrees. Now this was their they're getting to their fall, and it was, you know, it was it was nice. It was really nice. Weather was great down there, but it was still. I'm I'm a, I'm a larger guy. I'm putting about 250. So when I start walking, I start sweating. And I just it got to the point where everybody had to wear their uniform in through the all the the, the che- checkpoints and stuff. So each day, and then finally we got what was a vac pass. So. We could put it in a taxi window, and then the taxi would drive us up within about a half mile or a quarter mile of the the gate entrance versus having to spend an hour and 45 minutes each day to and from the oh facility. Yeah, and there was there wasn't we weren't alone in doing that. I mean, the workforce, that's the one thing, thousands of volunteers. And, you know, I'm, I wasn't a volunteer. I was paid for it. But, uh, yeah, so I they flew me down and put me up at the hotel. I think I still have the room key here <laughs> from the Hotel Atlantico Rio. And uh, the first couple of days, I didn't have my luggage because that day was August 8th. It was the day of the Delta technical shutdown. Oh, like yeah. I am trying to fly from Minneapolis to Rio. And I went – my, my route was supposed to be Minneapolis, Atlanta, Atlanta to Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo to Rio. Ended up being everything. And I'm trying to leave at like 11 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to sprint to my gate in Atlanta at like midnight to get on the plane to Rio. 
Oh, not the wow. Sao Paulo. They, they rebooked me to the Rio flight and I was sprinting through it. And I've got all this, I've got two weeks worth of, you know, I've got equipment and all sorts of stuff that I'm carrying with me. I'm thinking I'm going to do some podcasts down there and I'm just trucking, get there. And my bags don't show up for three days. Oh my gosh. So, so I'm buying Brazilian stuff. And then I run in some of the training partners down at Copacabana beach. We're going to go try to see some beach volleyball. And then we run into some, some, some judo fans uh, that we met the first night. And they're like, yeah, Seacrest is over there. And there's like nobody there. So one o'clock he goes on live and we we just photobombing the crap at a Seacrest. And I'm wearing <laughs> I'm wearing Brazilian jorts. I'm wearing this. I yeah. I'm I bought clothes. I, I don't think I'm wearing. Yeah, I'm not wearing those shorts today. But uh, you know, I had to buy clothes for a couple days. And then my then my bags show up, and it was just, it was a the the travel part of it getting there was a bit of a nightmare. But you know, we had a couple days to to acclimate. We did see some beach volleyball. Uh, we, we did really have, we were all over Olympic night live that night. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm heckling Seacrest. Well, I loved you at robot chicken. And he turns like, I gotta get you on my Instagram. I mean, people are sending me pictures of screenshots from, Hey, Jamie's on TV. Like wait, you can take like Andy Hamilton, one of the writers from track wrestling goes, you can take his luggage, but you can't take his Olympic spirit. You know, so I'm sitting there with my team USA jacket. We got flags. I think one of the, uh, one of the women there that night was one of the cyclists who had won gold. So, uh, you know, they, when they trot the, Mm-hmm. Out. So that was that was a getting there. The lodging was fine. I mean, if you if you travel internationally, you got to understand not everything is like a Hampton Inn right. overseas. You are looking at a basically a bed, maybe two feet on either side, a shower and a toilet. Sometimes the last two are in the same place. Like in in, in London, we were in a dorm at the University of East London, which is where our training partners and, and USA Wrestling staff was. And yes, the, you had to move the shower curtain to go to the bathroom. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was like a barrack. I mean, it was it was uh, it was like a cell block. So uh, that, that was fun. So but yeah, they 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 take care of you. They give you, you know, meal meal passes. And there's so many different people they've got to feed because like we were staying in the same hotel. Some of the NBC production people were. So uh, there's a restaurant there and they gave you a per diem and they had the, this travel pass card. So they really did make things very, very good. Uh, the food was was phenomenal. The area, the neighborhood of Copacabana, it reminded me a lot of a lot of Istanbul with the sidewalk cafes and just the smells coming out of there, just amazing. And uh, you know, you find little little pubs here here and there. And you know, I really outside of the wrestling, I thought Rio was was awesome. Uh, you know, everything that the media was worried about about the crime, and whatnot. And I will say there was a there was a night that before we started, I'm walking back to my hotel. And it's like two thirty in the morning, and I'm like probably shouldn't be walking out here by myself and that's just anywhere okay but it was you know it's quarter mile back so i mean no issues and just like any other place if there's there's bad parts of town you don't go to those bad parts of town and then complain about it like yeah i went to you know i I went to you know insert bad city here in the u.s and got robbed well why'd you go there Uh, i don't know you know there's yeah if you're gonna be stupid be smart about it it's you know (laughs) i'm not gonna go into the the questionable favelas and look around with my American stuff on. No, not going to happen. I'm going to go to and from. I'm straight lines. Go where there's people. So, yeah, I zero problem with crime. The the only thing I think that was questionable about Rio from what the media reports were was there was this bridge that was over this new hotel right next to the uh, International Broadcast Center and those those venues down there. And there was an open sewage trough that was kind of like, oh, oh wow. you kind of caught a whiff up walking out. That's the only time I've experienced something that was just gross. Huh. And I think that was because they built that hotel. Like I, they got it done like a week before. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, I don't think they finished it. But, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, the Rio itself, it was good. Uh, you know, it, I, I'm going to say like financially, it's, it's, it's not something you're getting, getting it rich on. I mean, it, it wasn't bad. Uh, you know, I've been paid better for other things, but you know, they, they really, they know what they're doing in terms of the playbook. And then part of the playbook, I think an issue I had was when we got there is I think they were using the playbook from like 2004, 2008, not 2012, because some of the things Ken was doing in 2012 were not, they're like, no, you can't do that. I'm like, no, we did it in London like this. And you do not deviate from the script. Like oh, victory ceremony. There's scripting. And they also added a French announcer. And the test event, it was just me and Sky Marcelo, mm-hmm. who spoke Portuguese. So it's the host language and then English. Well, French is an official IOC language. And then so they brought in uh, Daniel Robin, the, the late Daniel Robin. He passed away about a month ago. Um, but he was a, a French Olympian. He was silver medalist in both styles, I believe, in 1968. Oh, wow. And he was the French announcer. So that was also a, a hard thing to manage is like you would go on mat A. And then you'd go, oh, la, 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 t- t- p- a. and then, then I'd say the name in English. The first day, 
the Brazilian guy, Marcelo, was saying all the names, and he couldn't, and he didn't have the preparation. Then day two, they're like, okay, you say the names in English, and we finally got. I was kind of trying, trying not to be, you know, a jerk about this whole situation, but it's like, no, try, I've got the stuff. I'm mm-hmm. doing it all, and I'm not butchering the country codes. I didn't, I, you know, I don't like making mistakes. I try to be the most prepared. So when I hear something wrong from one of my my my, my fellow colleagues, it's just like. I wouldn't have made that mistake. And, you know, finally they let me kind of run with a little bit. Now, when the action goes on, I can pretty much say a lot, but I'm, I'm not a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's one thing that, that we get to. So when the competition gets there, it's just, whew, you know, there was there was some banging your head against the wall. Once we once we got the format to work, it was a lot better. But uh, personalities, so you, you got some old school and new school, and that, was, that, that created a little bit of difficulty at times. But, you know, as far as running the event, I mean – I thought the venue was fine. The, you know, we, we could have used a little bit more pop from music, but there's there's some things, again, with the playbook. Well, we can't play music. Well, no, we're playing music all through London. Like, no, we can't. Well, OBS says this. It's like, no, we, we can. So there's some of that, but. Interesting. You know, you know, each it's every four years they do it. But, you know, once we got into the wrestling, it was great. And were you doing, you had to do the whole day of announcing, or do they give you breaks? Are there multiple teams that do? Every day, six days. Every day, six days. So two sessions a day. Okay. So we do probably nine and 10 o'clock to four o'clock to our break, come back for finals at six okay. and medal ceremony. So, and with that, we'd have to introduce three mats and be like on mat, you know, on mat a wearing the red, then wait for, and then on mat and in the blue. And then you'd have to introduce every match so slow. And then once the wrestling's going on, you don't really do a whole lot of commentary because you've got three mats going on and they're ending at different times and you got to get the you got the production you got the producer over here saying okay fire go we've got this talk back system that we're we're working with talking through each other and you know talking to the productions okay is blue ready is blue ready all right go 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 and then the second half of the day is when we got the, the metal matches and the finals then i can do more of the play-by-play the commentary be like two points on the takedown now looking for the turn you can do a lot more of that uh, whereas the beginning of the day, you're only really focusing on returning medalists and world champions. And of course, uh, the Brazilians, whenever Brazilian wrestled, the place went rowdy and, and Marcelo was like really good with like pumping up the crowd there. They kind of got on him a little bit because I was like, it's not really a wrestling country. Right. So you know, that's the one, one drawback about the last two places is, is England and Brazil really aren't wrestling nations. So you don't get that crazy rabid fan base that is there to see wrestling. Tokyo is going to be different because the Japanese fans just love wrestling, especially women's wrestling. So, uh, but yeah, two, two full, you know, that was probably six full days of competition and, you know, you got to be careful with your voice. You can't go out late and, you know, talk over. That's where I lose my voice is when I'm out, I'm a social being. So when tournament's over, I'm out till I mean, we're talking, we're having a good time. And then like, I wake up and the guy, I get up. So you don't do any of that. You know, there was, there was zero socializing. Once you got back off the, off the train or, or the cab and we, you know, sat down, had dinner, went to bed, did it all over again. Did you were when your shift, when your event was done or when wrestling was over, did you, uh, were you then, did, did you leave or did you stay around? Uh, uh we were the last, okay. we were done the last day. So, uh, once that was done, it was like, okay, is there any, I went to USA house, which is, you know, some of your listeners might, might understand what mm-hmm. that is, is, uh, each place, I think the biggest ticket is 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 the the yeah. Holland House. Because <laughs> Heineken is like yeah. they they throw a party. I didn't get in there. I know I, I went to I ended up at a at a little sidewalk pub with some people that worked at it, and they're like, yeah, it's crazy. Everybody wants in. Uh, but USA House, uh, you, you go in, you know, there's there's food. The Olympians are making one. So I I met some of the the Tennessee State Tiger Bells from the legendary relay team last year or two years ago. I mean, the, the, the Wilma Rudolph, obviously not there, but the, uh, you know, her teammates right. and stuff there. And it was just like, wow, wait, I saw a guy wearing a shirt that says Tennessee state tiger bells. And I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. I know about the tiger bells. And it's like, yeah, there's two of them right there. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I got my picture taken with them. And then I, I met Nico Hernandez, who is a boxer, one of bronze and you know, some of our Olympians that are coming off of the, uh, the closing ceremonies. So that's how we ended up. And I was pretty much on a, I was on a flight, later that next day so it was a little later in the day trying to check three bags through because i had to i had lost all this i bought all this extra stuff i had to buy an extra bag plus i also bought probably a tip when you go to oh man (laughs) so hard to buy i bought eight hundred dollars worth of memorabilia wow for for my family every kid in this neighborhood where i live got a key ring or a pin or something so yeah i had to buy an extra luggage bag just for my clothes that i bought and my my memorabilia that i bought so it was you know, my wife's like, 
yeah, but you it's only every four years. So it was like, <laughs> like a little kid. I mean, every kid in this neighborhood's got something from the Olympics. So that's very cool. That was a cool do you are you hoping to get tapped for Tokyo? I am. I am. I've actually reached out to actually it was weird because I'm, I'm like, OK, I've got the Olympics. And Peter Graves goes, don't try to get your next job at your current job. Well, within 20 minutes of walking in the day before wrestling started in Rio, I met the Japanese site director. So I'm like, OK, he's here for Tokyo 2020. Hand in my card. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. English was not great and was like English speaker, English announcer. And then uh, I did email him probably about a month ago okay. expressing, you know, the interest again. I know the International Federation has 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 a role in this uh, and as does the host federation. So in Rio, I actually kind of went around the International Federation because at the time um, we had some differences of opinions on some things. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, you're like, yeah, we should just work together on this. And, you know, since then, you know, relationship has been good. But I'm hoping I'm, I'm not going to be. Oh, let's be honest. I'm going to be disappointed if I don't get it. But. I am going to understand why, because, you know, if you've got your country, you, you want to put your country on display. And if, you know, if it's, if it's an American, if you've got a really good English speaker from Japan that knows wrestling, I'm not going to be offended. I'm like I said, I'm going to be disappointed, but I'm not going to be offended. So I know that nobody's brought up anything that I something I need to do better or something I, I need to correct or did something wrong that disqualify me from 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 upcoming events but at, at you know at 39 years old i'm looking at it going man i'd really like to to run this through 2028 in la i'd, I'd really love to to have that opportunity and i don't know about beyond i don't know i'm trying to do the math on how old i'm going to be and oh wait yeah 40 it's 2018 maybe even further than that depending on how old my where my kids are at but I, yeah i want tokyo i'm not gonna lie about it. i want tokyo i never been to japan outside of a layover in narita which doesn't count and um i'm just i'm hopeful because that's a, that's that's a cool one. I'd want to do that too. Excellent, excellent. Well, that is all I've got. Thank you so much, Jason. We have. I do have one other yeah, thing there. Yeah, add, yeah. Actually. Go ahead. Okay, so you you caught the Lucy London thing, right? You know, you. 2012. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. Oh, that's so my was... second daughter. <laughs> okay. My second daughter, born 2016. Ah, uh, Rio middle name. Ru- Ruby Rio. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So the first one wasn't fully because of the Olympics. My wife spent some time overseas and that was her favorite city. We'd been there together. Okay. But when the second one rolls around and it's a girl, you know, I was like, well, well like, is, are you going to go with Rio for middle name? This is only if it's a girl. I'm not going <laughs> to curse my son like Rio, unless, you know, I could try to try to convince him that I was a Duran Duran fan, which we know is not the case. So uh, comes up being a girl and I like alliteration. It's, you know, I've got couple tattoos one with uh you know lucy's has big ben and, and the union jack and ruby's was designed in any carnival mask oh, nice. format my next my next door neighbor's a tattoo artist so i totally nailed that one but yeah so uh you know the the olympic spirit runs runs pretty good here and i i do remember what you're talking about people that that listen to the show that that really jump into the olympics and only watch certain events certain years mm-hmm. well the little there's a kid that lived down the end of the street uh his name is jack and he i came back from rio and he came up, he was probably eight years old at the time. He goes, hey, were, were you okay in Rio? I'm like, yeah. And his mom's like, yeah, he's been glued to the Olympics, Aww. just glued to watch. Oh, and then he goes, what did you say when the Chinese dudes started taking off their clothes? And I'm like, well, it was actually the Mongolians. And I didn't say anything. <laughs> so the, the the protest, actually, that happened two years ago That's today, as a right. matter of fact. On the last day that. of the yeah. Olympics, Kyle Snyder wins it. And then, uh, yeah, Ganserig uh, gets hit with a questionable caution and – loses his medal and his coaches went ballistic with uh disrobing on on the platform yeah that was nuts that was really really nuts but eh. it was one of the most uh, passionate that was that was probably the let's see snyder winning gold was big but you know i think the biggest moment actually i didn't even we didn't get to this yet was the biggest moment of the wrestling competition the biggest moment of my career mm-hmm. ever was Helen Maroulis becoming the first woman to win a wrestling gold medal and in wrestling because we'd had a silver medalist, mm-hmm. you know, Sarah McMahon, silver in the first one, had the had that match won, lost late. But And she took I down a big name too. She beat Yoshida, yeah. who had not been beaten. She had won every world or Olympic title since two thousand two. Right. Two thousand a superwoman. And and she had beaten Helen twice in the past. So Helen goes out, beats Superwoman. 
And I've known her since she was probably 15, 16 years old. And, you know, the tears start welling up and you got to be impartial here. Mm -hmm. And you're not you're not an American homer, but the throat starts getting tight. And I actually just wrote a little brief for a PA announcing newsletter about this. That's why it's it's fresh in the mind is it's the single biggest moment I've ever experienced as an announcer is watching the medal get placed over Helen's head. You know, after she after she beats Yoshida to that moment, making the call. But then the victory ceremony. Oh, wow. And the medal goes over the head. And then, ladies and gentlemen, please rise for the national anthem. And then I had to deep breath, gulp. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean I I'm tearing up now. Right now. Of the United States of America. And it's just like waterworks. <laughs> just, it was just like I'm doing wow. my best to keep my composure. I've only lost it twice in my life in that in that type of situation. That's one that is still, uh, you know, Kyle Snyder winning gold a couple days mm-hmm. later was was really cool being you know doing it at, at 19 20 years old was was wild but helen being the first to do it and knowing what she you know she battled through injuries and and you know anxiety and and weight and coming down and making changes and just beating yoshida you know not doing you know winning a goal would have been amazing the fact that how she did it made that moment so powerful and that did so much for women's wrestling in this country we got you know dozens of of high school girls now that actually have someone to look up to. So as a wrestling person, what Helen did in that, that 2016 games, I think it's going to have such an astronomical impact on women's wrestling in, in the United States because we've got good women's wrestling in Japan, great mm-hmm. women's wrestling in Japan. Canada has amazing women's wrestling. Russia's picking it up. The Ukraine has very good women. Excuse me, Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Right. That's another thing <laughs> you can't say. Say the. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother was born there, so it's kind of hard for me to say, like, the, not say the Ukraine, but. So that so the Helen Marulis moment, probably the most memorable of Rio and just as as an announcer, like to say, please rise for the national anthem. I mean, of the United States, that's wow. Yeah. Yeah. Get you. I, yeah. There, there's there's people that, that get to do that. But I was the first to get to do it with women's wrestling. And to yeah, that was freaking cool. Thank you so much, Jason. Check out Jason's podcasts at matttalkonline.com. That's M-A-T-T-A-L-K online.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow him on Facebook at Matt Talk Online with one T and on Twitter he's at Jason M. Bryant. I have a whole page of notes that I you took. You do? Because I, le- I learned so much from him in that little section because I hadn't heard that section before. Okay, so this is the second time at least, if not the fourth or fifth, where people who go to the Olympics and tell us to bring an empty suitcase. So keep (laughs) that in mind for Tokyo. I I think that's the first thing we need to, when we talk about traveling to Tokyo, bring an empty suitcase. No, just buy one there. I bought the best suitcase in Tokyo. It was fantastic. It was this bright orange number and it had, it was my first suitcase that had those 360 spinning wheels. Oh. It was oh, it was so nice, and then the American Airlines destroyed it. Oh well, we won't get into that. That's okay. They've replaced my luggage very often. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the the other two things that we need to remember is that even professionals need help with names. So when right? we're struggling with all those names, it made me feel so much better. Yes, that the dulcet tones of Jason Bryant still tripped over names right and and it just goes to show you how much work is involved in preparing for this and and i mean i don't think people understand just how difficult it is to announce and how much prep work he's got to do himself it's not like he's mike tarico with a staff right he's doing the heavy lifting himself right and i love that he shares it with the other people yeah that was really cool. Because then it makes everybody's job a lot easier. Who needs to reinvent the wheel when you have probably so much to do for your sport that you don't need to be competitive like that? Yes, exactly. And then the last big thing was we're not supposed to say North Korea, and we always say North Korea. No. So if the North Koreans are listening, are they coming after us? No, they are not. I hope not. Because that would be bad. Because we were saying how much, you know, during Pyeongchang, how much we loved those North Korean pair skaters. Right. But right. we didn't know we were insulting them by calling them North Korean. I know. Well, let me put that back on the insult list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was glad that he insulted the Uzbeks, not me. <laughs> the Uzbek strongman 
that was Jason Bryan, not me. <laughs> yeah, and we don't do a good job protecting our voices. No, we don't. I mean, I remember how hard it was during Pyeongchang to keep it up day after day and yes. needing to know what to do to make your voice better, your vocal cords better. That's getting high on the list. We need some Olympic physiotherapy vocal coach. Yes. Can we can we take an ice bath for our necks? Would that help? I don't know. I don't know, but I don't want to find out. Ice bath for your neck. Although I I could just take a, an ice pack and try it. Put a wrap yeah. a towel around, wrap an ice it pack is around. It's so what... hot in New England right now <laughs> that that does not sound half bad. Oh, maybe we could get massages. Massages? That would be nice, like uh, some kind of yeah, loosen you up help. or figure out techniques to loosen yeah. up. But you know that coaching costs money. We could use some support. And we can do that through many ways. We have a merch site at tpublic.com. And we also have a Patreon donor site at patreon.com slash limbfever. And any patrons we get or merch sales we make go to keeping the show on the air. So we would appreciate your support. And we will not use them on stakes or Swiss watches. That is true. Direct bribes, different story. Yeah. I don't know what you would bribe us with, but that's... <laughs> massages <laughs> and vocal coaching <laughs> and speaking of talking to us we're on at Olim Fever on Twitter Insta and Facebook and we have a new Facebook group and we've been having lots of fun listener Meredith and I have been first of all listener Meredith is embarrassing me with how much she knows about figure skating. <laughs> She's unbelievable. And we've been getting into some very detailed discussion about ice dancing, particularly the new regulation concerning knee slides. Wait, and what is this? So as part of the new guidelines for ice dancing, they have to include a knee slide in their skate. Yeah. Wait, they have to? Yeah. It's Why? One of the That's not dancing. I know. Oh, oh. We have opinions. And also in the the most recent Finlandia, the Finns could not keep their ice clean. They kept interrupting people's skates because there was things on the ice. Oh my goodness. I know. We had a whole discussion about that. So wow. the point is join our FB group and we have all kinds of fun. Yes. There. Very exciting. We do. Now it's time for our team Olympic fever update. Tofu. That's right. We have a slice of tofu for you today. Megan Duhamel and Eric Radford are performing in the Thank You Canada tour throughout October and November. And that's really cool. So it's them and Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer. Caitlin Osmond, Patrick Chan, Elvis Stoiko. Oh. It's, oh. It is a lineup, man. Oh. But that's very cool. It's a, that's a very cool It's a thing. nice looking tour. Yes. And then I have seen... Shiva Keshavan pop all over the social media feeds because he's in Buenos Aires representing the Indian Olympic Committee. He's having a lot he of fun. He's having a lot of fun and cheering on a lot of Indian athletes. So that is yes. very cool. Uh, moving on to our Tokyo 2020 update. Okay, so along with the Youth Olympic Games, there was a big IOC session in Buenos Aires. And among the announcements that were made, TBAC. Uh, president of the IOC announced that the refugee Olympic team will be back for Tokyo 2020, which is very exciting. I'm very glad that they, they have been they have been sponsoring refugee athletes throughout, and they'll make up another team uh, for the next Olympiad. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I I just think that's a wonderful. You know, we've talked about the IOC not always being on the right side of human rights issues. Mm -hmm. But this is one time where they absolutely are on the right side of history and doing something to really give these people some hope. Never mind the individual athletes, right. but just, you know, people who are really suffering, just give them something to be excited about. Right. So that was really good news. And then the other part of the Tokyo 2020 update, along with like ballooning costs, which is amazing. 
well, it's not amazing, but it's happening again. There was some controversy over a captive dolphin show at the ceremony for the sailing test events. Yeah. Did you see that? Like any of the show? I did not see any yeah. of the show, but what what happened? It was just, they had, you know, it's like the old school SeaWorld show. Dolphins in a pool jumping through hoops and doing spins. And, you know, some people went, you know who really went ballistic were the Australians. Oh, really? Yeah. They were the ones who were posting right away and saying, how could you possibly do this? And really, really horrified. So, you know, there are different cultural norms and there are different standards in different countries. And in an event like the Olympics is going to bring this out. And I don't see how we're not going to have controversies, no matter where the Olympics is with this kind of thing. All right. Well, back to the drawing we'll board of that. that. Yeah. Let's go spend some more money and figure out what else you can do besides a live dolphin show. And we've got some other news for you. Remember back on episode 50 when we talked with Joan Morantz, who helped with the educational efforts for LA 1984, and we asked if there were any teachers out there who used Olympic-related materials? And who got back to us? Book Club Claire. And she has used a whole bunch of alternative websites to teach Olympics during the past three Winter Games. And she said at Vancouver 2010, they put out some really cute coloring pages, but that was about it. And has found other things at readingatoz.com. It's really easy for websites to do similar stuff to games related. And they don't use a trademark so or, and any of the symbols. So, but you get like sports games stuff. Right. Like when Party City puts out the, you know, international sporting party yes, goods. Yes, exactly. Same idea. I thought this was also really cool because she incorporates geography units into the Olympics so kids know the countries they're hearing about as well. So each for this year, like each kid chose a country to follow and they had a contest based on medal counts. So they learn about the country while they're cheering for them. So I thought that was super cool. Good job to whoever got Norway. Yeah, right. They were probably really mad, too. Like, oh, I got Norway. They're not going to win anything. And then, man, they come yeah, and right. clean up. What? And speaking of Book Club Claire, have you gotten your copy of Running for My Life yet? Or have you download downloaded it from audibletrial.com slash Fever? No. Oh, I got it the last week. And I am. Oh, you yes, did? Yes, I am. It? I'm almost halfway through. It's really good. And you just okay. you just start thinking, oh my gosh, how did he get through this? And he's got a super positive attitude, and it's kind of like, well, this is the way it is, I guess. I'm going to get used to it. I need some super positive, so I will start yeah, that this yeah, week. I, and you know what? I find it, the people always talk about summer reading. I find it very difficult to read when I'm hot. Really? Yeah, so maybe the Audible maybe. will help me. Maybe I can listen as I'm melting in October. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know, but Lopez finally got to America in my book, in my, where I'm at right now. So I'm... So what's our Audible link? Um, audibletrial.com slash fever, And you can get a free download when you sign up for a trial account. I might try that this time. Very cool. So, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. There are a lot of announcements with the Youth Olympic Games because they did knock down the... 2026 candidates down to three. They said, Turkey, thank you for your interest, but no thank you. And I've asked Calgary and Stockholm and the combined Italian bid from... I'm not going to say. Oh my gosh. No, because it's just going to break my heart because it's not going to work because all the Italians are fighting with each other. Oh. And I'm not going to get to say Cortina. Raking my heart, Italy. You have no idea how sad I am about this. But then if it's in Calgary, we can make all the Calgary stampede jokes. So I like how you go go instantly to how can I insult another country? <laughs> <laughs> but I love the Canadians. No, I it is gentle, loving teasing. Have you seen who's on that Thank You Canada tour? I want to be Canada so those skaters can say thank you to me. Oh, my goodness. I'm driving to Ontario if I have to. 
And I will say thank you, Canadian skaters, for existing. That's very true. Yeah. They bring a lot of joy. I will say that. They do. I will say that. And on that note, I think it's time to say I hope we've brought you some joy this week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we really appreciate your support. And next week, we will catch you back here with another story of Olympism. And until then, keep the flame alive. We love to hear from you. Email us at info at olimfever.com or leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. You can also interact with us on social. We're Olimfever on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Yeah, that was freaking cool.